Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire, inform and influence. My name is Alex. My name is George. And in today's episode, we look at a journey that started in Italy, where our guest embarked on an adventure to learn more about their true passion, the humble pizza. Eager to share this passion with the world and equipped with their newfound skills in pizza making, they set up a market store in London. Now, nearly nine years later, Pizza Pilgrims has 13 stores across Oxford and London. Today, we're excited to discover more about the incentives behind following their passion, the challenges that have cropped up, especially in the past year, and what their plans are for the future. We are excited to welcome James Elliott, founder of Pizza Pilgrims. So welcome, James. How are you? Hey, guys. Yeah, good. Thank you. Can I pull you up immediately on something, though? In the intro, you called it a humble pizza. It's a whole world of pizza. <laughs> it's a pizza. Yeah, true. It's a pizza. <laughs> pizza means many a thing. For those who don't know what Pizza Pilgrims is, do you mind just explaining a little bit what it is and what Pizza Pilgrims means to you? Yeah, so Pizza Pilgrims is a business that me and my brother started. We were both working in more normal jobs. I was in television production and my brother was in advertising. We always say that we were an incredible combination of being terrible at our jobs and hating them, which is a pretty pretty classic combo. So we kind of reached a bit of rock bottom and it was just like, right, we want to work in food. What can we do? But we had no money. So this idea of opening a restaurant was immediately thrown out because you need at least £100,000 worth of investment to get that off the ground. And then just at the time, it was sort of 2011, end of 2010, 2011, and street food was just really arriving in the UK from LA as a thing. And we'd had these guys called the Meat Wagon, which which then became Meat Liquor, the bigger company. We went down there, and we were. I went to a car a car park in Peckham, and they had a fitted out ambulance with a burger griddle in the back, and there were 300 people crowded around it. And I was just like, nice. "Hang on a minute, this feels like something that we should be getting involved in." So then, this idea of starting a street food van came around, and we thought that we both loved pizza, but we had no idea of how to make it. But we we thought if we're going to do pizza, we need we need a van and the most iconic van from Italy are these little three-wheeled tuk-tuks. We got in touch with Piaggio who make the, the little three-wheeled vans and we said, how much to get a van shipped from Italy to us? And they said, I think it was something like three grand. So we were like, then the idea of like, hang on, for three grand, we could drive it back ourselves and spend the money on pasta and pizza on the way back. So this idea of started to develop, of flying to Italy. So we flew down to Sicily and then we drove the whole way up through Italy on a pizza pilgrimage to learn everything we could about pizza. Then we got back to the UK, a, a wood-fired pizza over in the back of the tuk-tuk, and we set up on Berwick Street Market in right in the heart of Soho. And we were a street food van for 18 months doing the markets in the day, and then the evenings we were doing parties, festivals, bar mitzvahs, weddings, funerals, wherever they would have us. A year and a half after that, we opened our first restaurant, and now we've just opened restaurant 14, uh, and we it's kind of been a sort of bizarre, white-knuckle ride, unexpected adventure, basically. That was cool. <laughs> That makes me want to have Pizza Pilgrims at my wedding. But um, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing when you mentioned your Pizza Pilgrimage, I'm guessing that's where your name came about. The only other name we had for it was Rolling Stone because it was a stone oven and we were rolling. But then right. someone pointed out that the Rolling Stones are the most litigious band in the world. <laughs> so nicking their name might not be very good for copyright law. <laughs> 
perhaps not. It was also just at the time when social media was really starting to kick off in a proper way. Like, you know, Twitter had landed, probably Instagram was just coming. Things like Vine were around. So we wanted to create a concept, an idea, like a story, a narrative that brought everyone along for the journey. So the whole idea of Pizza Pilgrims was me and my brother, actually, I used to be a chef when I was younger. So I have a good understanding of food and my brother can cook, but neither of us had any understanding of how to make pizza. So it was very much the setup for the story was we're students, we're learning. And that's where the pilgrim thing came from. So it was all about learning together. And so all of the content that we make would be how what we were learning about pizza. And that is something that still stays with us now that kind of like, you know, always interested, always looking to develop. We've never set ourselves up as just like the best. And because I think that's a very dangerous place, way to place yourself. If you place yourself as like, our pizza is amazing, come and try it. Then people kind of want to shoot you down. Whereas if you go, we've worked really hard on this. What do you think? There's an arrogance that comes to sort of trying to be too flashy with your with your product. People don't like flashy and they kind of want to shoot it down and they, they're willing the pizza to be bad after that. So it's when you started then, was it just with the pure focus of being a market stall? Because obviously the pizza market is very saturated. There's loads of, I mean, now there's 14 restaurants and there's competition from Pizza Express, Pizza Hut, Domino's Pizza. But when you started, that wasn't really the market you were going into. You were going into street food. So the original idea came around because I was working in television and friends of mine who were also working in television were being much more successful than me. So they were all, you know, I have a friend now, he's like a hotshot film director and we started off making tea together in a, in a, you know, being runners. And I was just like, something's going wrong here. He's absolutely smashing it and I'm not. And I basically came to the conclusion that he was creating his own content. So he was out making films, making short films. And I was like, okay, what's the short film version of working in food? And so this idea of like a street food store came up because it was, it was feasible financially. It was just, you know, it, it seemed feasible for, for someone who had no real experience in running a business to start a stall and just start trading from a stall. And that was true. Like starting it small and having a, like a lovely little market stall where you could change the recipe every day and you could control all the little elements of it was a real help. When you started up in that stall that time ago, could you ever imagine that you would be at the place you are now with these stalls? No, it was so a stepping stone idea. The idea, I thought that we'd do a street food thing for a summer, you'd have some fun with it. And then from that, you could then go and get a job working in a, in a you know, something to just show that you've taken initiative, you've done something yourself, even to the point my brother didn't actually quit his day job. So he was working an ad agency in Soho and he'd come down on his lunch break, help serve pizzas and then go back to his job. So yeah, I mean, the the initial intention, well, we never just even imagined. I mean, I think about a year away, about a year in, we were like, oh my God, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a restaurant? So that kind of ambition, I think we were always ambitious as people, but the ambition in the idea kind of grew as we started to see success. And I think that was actually an absolute blessing because we didn't have the sort of weight of expectation. Everything was just like, yeah, why not? We'll have a crack. There was no fear of taking risks or like taking leaps because it was just a fun thing that was only going to last six months anyway. And that's actually something that I reference a lot when I speak to people who are starting businesses now is I feel quite often people, they're in their day job, which they hate, and they've got this dream, which they want to fulfill. And they start to build a business plan and they build it and they build it and they kind of squirrel it away. And they're so intent on exactly what it's going to be. And it becomes this kind of release for them. They hate their job and then they can go and spend a couple hours thinking about the thing that they're going to do in the future. And the, the idea becomes so set in stone and this kind of thing that's put on a pedestal that when they actually come to do it, it's completely concrete and there's no flexibility in the idea. And one of the most important things when you're starting a, a business or a project is to allow flexibility, allow trial and error and go, oh, we thought we were going to do this, but actually the opportunity is way over here. We need to pivot, change and like not getting too caught up on exactly what the thing is going to be at the end allows you to be malleable and sort of flex with where the opportunity is and where the, you know, 
that's the thing I always say, like, just whatever you want to do, start doing some version of it now and improve it as you go. Because the pressure that you put in yourself, if you create this like perfection of what you want it to be, you'll never quit your job. You'll never like, like just start doing a Saturday market. You know, if it's a street free thing, start, just start doing a little thing and then grow it from there. Cool to hear that you rolled with it so much. And I mean, because the thing is street food and restaurants are very different and the kind of ethos that you would have and the, the culture of being behind a street food is all very fun and playful. And when you did move into a restaurant, how did you kind of maintain that same sort of nature of working on a stall in the restaurant? Because it's a kind of totally different setting, but I know the pizza buildings are still a fun restaurant to be in. So how did you keep that same sort of vibe? I think it was, we were quite young. Like I was 26 when we started the street food van and then 27, 28 when we opened the restaurant. The, the team that we opened with, we were all the same age, same level. Most of them were friends of friends anyway. So we had this like complete flat structure of the business and we've tried to keep that flat structure as much as possible and just like have everyone be friends there's no really really clear hierarchy i mean there's there's kind of accountability and like you've got to build structure in but like it's really important that everyone gets on and has a good time with it as well so i think when we moved into the restaurant in the first instance there's a couple of things i think one of the one of the things that we talk about is useful naivety like not knowing how hard it was going to be was probably pretty useful it definitely makes you a bit more bullish like if i think if we if we'd known would we have done it so it's just i think again it's just kind of better to go in both feet and just sort of keep dynamic and keep willing to pivot and change also uh, spend someone else's money that's a really important thing we took investment <laughs> at the point that we took a restaurant on and i think if i'd you know i hear a lot about people who start businesses and they remortgage their house and then you know the roof over their head becomes part of the stress of keeping the business operating. And it's just like, that's not, a you don't make good decisions at that point. So take investment is a really, I think a good bit of advice, unless of course you're minted. That would be yeah. also really nice. <laughs> Luck of some, but um, yeah. <laughs> do you think those are a couple of the skills that you've alluded to, like the willingness to be flexible, knowing when to invest are those things that you were naturally had like instincts you naturally had or was that something you had to learn throughout your journey hard to say i think kind of we came from a, a fairly entrepreneurial family not many there are no professionals in my family my, my family like were antiques dealers and then actually my mom ran a pub at one point as well so there was definitely always that kind of like entrepreneurial spirit i suppose but then it's me and my brother who run the business and we're very different as as people and we have very different skills sets. He was a experimental psychology graduate from Oxford University, you know, sort of got, did six A levels and got straight A's, triple maths, physics, came, you know, and he's just one of those guys. Well, I, I always think our degrees are pretty showing. He did experimental psychology at Oxford and I did popular and world music at Leeds. So it's like <laughs> in there is everything you need to know about the difference in personalities between my brother and me. So it was really good to have, Tom was very good early doors on like organizing. If you're not an organizer, like I'm not, it was really good to pair myself up with someone who's, you know, when it was like doing the health and safety certification for Hammersmith Council and doing setting us up up on company's house. For him, it's quite easy, that stuff. For me, it was just like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I still don't know our company's VAT number. Yeah, I think pairing up with someone who being very, very clear about what skills you don't have and not not kicking yourself for it because there's a glorious thing of like whatever it is that you hate doing or can't do, there's someone who can do it and loves doing it. So I think that's when businesses run best, when you, when you have people all doing the thing that they're put on this earth to do and mine is not finances or paperwork. So do you work well as a team when it's... That's massively playing down Tom's role in the business. Tom <laughs> it just has the ability of doing paperwork. He's not an imbecile like I am. He, 
but Tom's <laughs> been very much like the, the business side of things and you know the legal property I do more the food design social media kind of stuff but actually we, we both have an opinion he's very he has a definitely has a, it's what I find interesting is how often his critical mathematical brain is really useful in the more creative space and sometimes how useful my more creative brain is useful in the more analytical stuff so it's good when you can create a relationship where you cross over each other and he'll pick holes in my creative ideas and I'll probably have a more entrepreneurial spirit towards whether we should open a new restaurant or not. That's good. That's good. And so do you feel like then a huge part of Peter Pilgrim's success was its ability to think outside the pizza box, to constantly be coming up with fresh ideas and to be new and innovative? Oh, hang on a minute. You, just, you slip past that. Think outside the pizza box. Hello. I didn't slip that in too quick yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's really important for a business to innovate. I think you can innovate too much where you're chopping and changing. I think you've got to, in some ways, I think of us as a very innovative business that's constantly thinking of new ideas, but actually we try and create like a, like a sandpit, like a playpen to have, to do all the fun stuff in about 20% of the business. 80% of the business is really robust. It's selling margarita pizzas and it's selling pints of beer and like developing that and honing it down and getting it completely black and white, perfect, like a beautiful running machine that affords you the ability to go and mess around with the last 20%. Uh, that, that's kind of how we run our business. So like there, there's, we, we have this thing called the reverse mullet that we talk about, which is like a mullet traditionally, right? Is business up front, party in the back. <laughs> so our, our original business model was called the reverse mullet, which is business in the back party up front. So like you can, you can relax into a structure. If you, if you've got, if you, if you've got everything organized and everything's nicely set up and you're all organized, then you can start to have fun. If you don't have all of your knitting done, if you don't have all the boring stuff done, then you can't really have fun anyway, but it's not sustainable or you'll be so stressed out of your head because it will, it won't all be nice and nice and clean. So yeah, the reverse mullet was, a, was a big part of the beginning of pizza pilgrims. Uh, it's the reverse mullet. As I asked. Never, never actually. Yeah, that is George. You've got a little bit of a reverse mullet there. That is definitely party up front. That haircut. Of course, you bring my my hair and it's look. I love to be able to grow a mullet. It's just too curly. It's like it's near afro. It would just grow out rather than you'd be. It'd be a long straightening game for sure. It, oh God, my, you don't want to see me when I straighten my hair. It's not. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sorry, I've let us. I might have let us off track there. Obviously, twenty twenty um, has been a bit of a difficult year for quite a lot of businesses. But Alex has well informed me that uh, Peter Pilgrims uh, were innovative with their ideas to stay competitive and created this lockdown saviour kit called Pizza in the Post. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it went? Yeah, Pizza in the Post. This was an, an interesting insight into how, you know, small business thinking. Uh, I actually tried to launch Pizza in the Post twice in the last five years. Once with Amazon Fresh, when they came to the UK, they, they, they asked whether we'd like to go on board with them. That's kind of like instant food delivery stuff before delivery. Uh, and we launched it then and it didn't work. And then we tried to launch it again in the pizzerias and it, and it failed miserably. It was a good thing to remember of sort of all these ideas that you have and fail. They still stay on the back burner. And sometimes an idea is terrible until the right opportunity arises. And then, yeah, when lockdown one hit, we relaunched this kit, which is basically, it's one of our pizza boxes. And inside the pizza box is a liner. And inside the liner is lots of little different deli pots that have two dough balls, two of our 
you know, slow proof dough balls, two portions of our tomato, tomato sauce, two portions of mozzarella, basil, parmesan, olive oil, and flour. So everything you need to make two margaritas at home. But um, we came up with this method called the frying pan pizza, which is basically you're replicating the heat of our wood-fired ovens by putting a dry frying pan on, on the heat. So you get a really hot frying pan, which replicates the base of the oven. And then once you've, you stretch the dough, put it in the frying pan, build the pizza on top of the dough in the frying pan until it creates a crust on the bottom. And then you put the whole thing under a really hot grill. And that, that mirrors the kind of the flames that, grow, that, that come over the top of a dome oven. And hand on heart, I know I'm selling him, so I might be biased, but hand on heart, it is head and shoulders the best way to make a pizza at home. Like, and it, what I love about it is it's just, it's just so democratic because all you need is a frying pan and a grill, which is kind of what everyone's got at home. Especially if we've got a lot of students listening, it's a student, it's a student proof product. So yeah, that idea, we relaunched it and we were kind of first to market with what has now become like a pretty big industry, I suppose. And I think it's something that we super proud of being the first ones, you know, that kind of and, and like, hopefully we kind of help sort of pave the way for it. You know, everyone to, it's cause it's been a huge help to a lot of businesses to have this, like to think about this, like restaurant kits at home stuff. And yeah, we've, we've now managed to employ 25 people to make it happen, which is also a massive thing when obviously jobs are not, we're a job creating business has been a really nice thing. And yeah, we've, I think we've sold something like 150,000 kits now over the last, you know, not, well, coming up to 12 months now. And I think we've created a new arm to the business. It's a bit like when street food came around, street food was the last thing that shook up the restaurant business. Cause suddenly you didn't need a restaurant to open it. And then this just feels like a whole new, a bit of a perfect storm. Obviously everyone was stuck at home. So you had a captive audience, but also technology is caught up in the way that you can, you can process orders and shop on, you know, we use Shopify, which has just made everything really easy. Social media obviously helps to drive it. This industry is going to grow and I think it's going to be with us for a long time. So we've actually invested in a proper 3000 square foot unit now where we produce the kits and we're now looking at how we can develop the idea. Cause it's important that once you have the idea, everyone else catches up by having, you know, everyone else piles in on the, on, on the idea and you've got to stay at the next step ahead to be thinking about what the next step for it is. So we're currently looking at like subscription models. You know, you, you'll, you'll become a pizza pilgrim. And then once a month you get sent a pizza kit, which will have different ingredients in it. And it'll take you on a bit of a journey to go and understand about maybe prosciutto one month. And the next month will be like truffle oil and where truffles from. Yeah. It's, it's suddenly our restaurant business has got an e-commerce platform, which is really exciting. And I think as you're growing, you want to figure out ways of diversifying your business. Restaurants are, a big, it's still the biggest part of our business, but it's very nice to know that we now have an online platform and a way of reaching everyone in the UK now because it's it's just done through the post. That kind of answers the next question I was leading on to say. <laughs> I was going to say the hospitality industry as a whole is changing and the restaurant industry as a whole in the long run will change and how have you adapted to this? But I think you've you've covered that pretty pretty well, really. I think piece in like e-commerce, piece in the post, thinking about ways that you can trade outside of your four walls is something that all restaurant, all good restaurant brands are really trying to think about now. We also wrote the, our book, which we imaginatively called Pizza. Uh, have you seen that book? I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that's another thing like trying to get, you know, trying to do more stuff in the kind of media space, which is more fun. Um, but what, what I think is for sure is that restaurants are coming back. There are three main need states of a human and it's like eating, drinking and social contact. And at the middle of all those three things is going out to restaurants. So I, it's very short sighted to think that I think a lot of people have panicked that, you know, restaurants are closing, but it's going to come back and it will come back doubly as strong because everyone's missed it so much. If anything, the one thing that everyone keeps harping on about in lockdown is that they miss going out to restaurants and going to the pub. So 
I, I don't fear that restaurants aren't going to be a thing in our future, but it is interesting to think about how they change. And I think delivery is the other thing. Deliveroo has been another major part of it. You know, it's kept all of our restaurants open for the last nine months. And I think that getting your food delivered to your home, like I think people have always been a bit wary of it because when delivery came around, it was like people didn't trust it. Uh, and suddenly you're, you're giving quite a lot of your business to a third party who take mm -hmm. a commission. So I think some people were quite standoffish and thinking, you know, restaurants are restaurants. You shouldn't, you should come to us to experience a good pizza, for instance, but the ship has sailed on that. Pandora is out of the box. And I think everybody expects you to be able to get food delivered at home. So I think leaning into that and making that offer amazing and trying to push into the opportunities, you know, cause I think people went delivery, it's tricky. It means that, you know, the product that you're going to get from the restaurant is going to be, could be cold. It could be, it could fall over. It could be not very well delivered. And I think with that kind of stuff as a business or as a business owner, you've got to think about stop focusing on the negatives of it and start thinking about the positives and go like, right. Okay. What are the opportunities that delivery offers us? And I think just keeping that mindset when you're growing a business is a much better way of thinking it because otherwise you just get, you go crazy. If you just thought about the negatives, you just got to focus on the positives and the opportunities, the doors that are open to you and just start thinking about, yeah, okay, cool. If I'm a delivery customer, how do I make my pizza delivery experience really freaking cool? And so then you can ideas start coming from that. Set you now, next five years, where are you seeing Pizza Pilgrims going? Where, where do you want to see it go? I don't think growth is the main thing. It's it's already a much bigger thing than we'd ever expected. And I think the the days of restaurant businesses just cookie cuttering a hundred sites across the whole country, I, I feel like that's not gonna be a big part. I I, I think Certain brands can do that, but I think that's, you know, people want local, they want independent. I feel like that kind of growth is not what we're going to be doing or focusing on. I think we will continue to grow because I think it's really important that a business does keep growing because, you know, we've got managers and ops managers and chefs and head chefs coming up through the business and junior marketing people that want to become senior marketing people. And I think culturally, if you want to hold on to all those people and like keep them stimulated and keep them head from for development going, then that means you are growing. But those are the right reasons to grow, not to grow just for sort of pure financial gain. Or I think it's really important that you balance the culture with the growth. And I think for me and my brother, it's, you know, uh, this has not been an idea that's, that was born out of a boardroom. This is a painfully personal baby, basically. And I think the worst, the last thing I could see is would be for us to grow too quickly, just ruin it have the product go down in quality, have the culture go down in quality and just have it sort of dissolve. That would be my worst nightmare. So I think, yeah, I think it's just sort of slow, slow and steady growth. Keep investing in the people, keep investing in the product and try and keep it creative. Well, I mean, you've given us lots of great advice already and I'm sure our listeners will have benefited usually from everything you've had to say. But kind of with one last sort of question, many of our listeners will be in the early stages of starting a business. So what kind of final piece of advice would you want to give to, to then people who want to chase that dream of starting their own business? I think the first that thing I mentioned before about don't sit on the idea for too long and, and make get too precious about it. Start testing it because I know for a fact, whatever the idea that you've got is now, it's different to the idea that's going to work for you. Like there's no, there's no one in the world who just like plucks an idea out of the sky and just makes it work exactly as they first imagined it. So just get, get working, start testing it with, with a low cost, invest as little amount of money as possible in learning as much as you can about your idea. That's the first thing. And then that also rips the plaster off being a perfectionist about it because startup business is not a perfect game. It's a complete, it can be a complete mess. <laughs> Very hard to do, but number two would be don't get too stressed about the mess. Embrace the, embrace the madness. And sort of someone used the analogy to me the other day of like, it's an avalanche. Just don't try and 
ski against the avalanche. Just take your skis off and just go with it. <laughs> go with the flow. Number three is don't be put off by the idea that someone else has done the idea before you. There's no such thing as, a, as an original thought. There's no such thing as an original idea. And just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean that you can't do it better or do it cheaper or do it differently. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people do that. They go, oh, that's such a great idea. I'd love to do that. And then they Google it and someone's doing it. And it's like, ah, oh. if anything, it should be a red flag if no one's doing it, because that means there's not a market. So... <laughs> Like it's much easier to start a business in a market that already exists, especially if you haven't got a lot of money. If you're trying to build a new, completely new market of something that no one's even heard of before, the amount of money you're going to have to spend on marketing and education before people start to engage with your brand or your business, like you're much better to, to slipstream into a, into a already trading, already proven market. Very, very wise words. James, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure our listeners would want to know where they can find you or get in touch. So do you have any social media you want to, you want to give a shout out? Uh, we are at Pizza Pilgrims. And this is perfect timing because my battery from is 2%. So as ever, I am always running out of battery. <laughs> well, thank you, James. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for all our listeners for joining in and check us out for our next episode this has been the lost and founded podcast if you liked this episode make sure to head over to instagram and let us know how you found it at lost and founded pod with new episodes being released every thursday you'll be ready to continue taking steps to bring your ideas to life wherever you listen to your podcast be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences that's all for now and we'll see you next week pleasure man good to see you